0: DiscerningHearts.com presents Crossing the Desert, Lent, and Conversion with Deacon James Keating. Deacon Keating is the Director of Theological Formation at the Institute for Priestly Formation located at Creighton University in Omaha, Nebraska. He has led over 400 workshops on moral theology and spirituality nationwide. He is the author of numerous books, including Crossing the Desert, on which this series is based Crossing the Desert Lent and Conversion with Deacon James Keating I'm your host Chris McGregor Welcome back Deacon Keating Thank you In your book Crossing the Desert Lent and Conversion the chapter entitled The Desert of Ordinary Life is a actually quite a compelling title because In ordinary life, who would have thought we'd be in a desert? As you point out in the chapter, though, people have a tendency to try to make life easier by separating real life from religion. Is that how we end up in that desert?
1: Yeah, the um, Second Vatican Council noted the greatest error of our time is the separation of faith from everyday life. The healing of that separation truly is the work of the Holy Spirit in each one of our individual lives. Because the Spirit is is the Spirit of union, unity, communion. Christ sent His Holy Spirit so that we could have union with Him, with one another, with the Father. And God is very interested, by way of the revelation of Jesus Christ, that we don't have some type of religious holy time and time that is separate from God, a secular time. There is a distinction that's legitimate. So we don't all have to be thinking about Jesus or uh, calling our hockey teams, you know, the Holy Ghost hockey team or something like that. We can definitely have uh, unique and distinct events in life other than an explicit or that, that carry a other than an explicit uh, reference to God. But God, for those who believe, is always in the fabric, even of that secular time, is an implicitness to who is guiding us and who is leading us and who we consult with, the divine. So we have a legitimacy to say that this is a public school and perhaps God ought not be uh, brought in here explicitly, or this is, you know, Uh, a store that I run and I don't have to be talking about God 24 hours a day in this store that I manage. So there's a legitimate distinction between the religious and the secular. But there should never be a separation in our own lives, our own personal lives, between the fact that we believe that Jesus is our Savior and the fact that that belief affects our becoming holy. They should never be separated. Uh, It's just like, uh, again, analogically, a man goes to work managing a store. Well, his wife isn't with him, but he's always a spouse. He's always a spouse. He's not babbling on about his wife every day as he's managing the store, but he may be thinking of her. And uh, the fact that he goes home at a certain time and doesn't go off with his friends uh, is evidence that... He carries her needs in his heart, and those needs have been with him throughout the work day, and his love for her defines him. So the way that we would look at our vocation as spouse is very similar to the way that we would look at our vocation as believer, that God certainly affects us and defines us. We love God. Our decisions about how we spend our daily life based upon that love of God, just like A husband bases his decisions upon how it affects his spouse. So there is a distinction, but not a separation. An ordinary life becomes a desert when somehow we make religion private rather than personal.
0: When we talk about religion, we also enter into that public worship of the church that we participate in. And there's a real danger that that can be something ordinary, and I mean that in the more negative connotations of the word, that we stop participating in the liturgy in a way that it is something that builds us up, that it's extraordinary.
1: Yeah, I think the, uh, again, routine, and then also our own unreachability at public worship. A lot of times we're even closed to God when we're at Mass. We're not supple. We're not vulnerable to God, even in his sacramental presence. And so then, of course, worship becomes ordinary quick, because it's more me. It's more of me again. It's more of my ideas. It's more of my worries. It's more of my anxieties, my agenda. And then after a while, people just slough off and no longer worship. Well, that's perfectly understandable. I mean, how much you can you take? It, it becomes sickening after a while. So if even in the presence of God you're thinking about you and you're closed, you're closed to his, his influence, well, of course, then worship becomes ordinary and perhaps I no longer attend. All of liturgy is supposed to be a conspiracy that pulls the self towards God. Whether it's the gathering of the community, hopefully in a beautiful architectural space, making the mind go to beauty and transcendence, music assisting us, revelation being proclaimed, hopefully a homily that continues to reveal God and not conceal him, further deepens our affection for God and our sense of being pulled out of the self toward God. The very elements of bread and wine become body and blood. The whole movement of the community together toward reception of God so that God transforms the whole community. All of these elements are in place so that the ego will not vie for space in worship. But notice how strong, how much weight sin and the self hold. Because even in an environment dedicated totally to the losing of the self in God, you can still retain the self. It's quite frightening, actually at how stubborn we are to receive our own salvation. And so, of course, worship can become ordinary if we make our the center of it. And then, of course, we'll get sick of it and we won't go back because implicitly we're all looking to be saved from the self. But if we drag the self to the center of the mass, we'll only recognize the self there and we'll say that this is useless. So we need to go with a disposition of vulnerability, a disposition of suppleness, so that God can reach us, be open, be malleable. That's why the penitential rite is there in the beginning. Oh God, I'm sick of myself. Save me from myself. Don't let this Mass go by without an encounter. And of course we can say the same prayer for Lent. O God, I'm sick of myself. O God, save me from myself. Do not let these 40 days go by without an encounter, without communion with you.
0: We'll return in just a moment to Crossing the Desert, Lent and Conversion with Deacon James Keating. Did you know that you can obtain a free app, which contains all your favorite Discerning Hearts programs? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Archbishop George Lucas, Father Mauritius Fildi, and so many more, including episodes from inside the pages, can be obtained on the Discerning Hearts Free app. This also includes all the novenas and devotionals and prayers, including the Holy Rosary and Stations of the Cross the Chaplet of St. Michael, and the Seven Sorrows of Our Lady, all available on the Discerning Hearts free app. Visit the iTunes and Google Play app stores to obtain your free Discerning Hearts app today. The Memorare Remember, O Most Gracious Virgin Mary,
1: That never was it known that anyone who fled to Thy protection, implored Thy help, or sought Thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly to Thee, O Virgin of Virgins, my Mother. To Thee do I come, before Thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, But
0: in thy mercy, hear and answer me. Amen.
1: If you have been blessed in some way by the spiritual nourishment and teachings offered freely by all those involved with
0: Discerning Hearts programs,
1: please consider a positive review for the various programs on the iTunes and Google Play stores. This is a great way to help the ministry and is an encouragement to others who are seeking the best in spiritual formation to find and check out the programs. Won't you please help? It's an easy way to help give back and to be a part of the mission. Thank you, and God bless from all at Discerning Hearts.
0: We now return to Crossing the Desert, Let and Conversion, with Deacon James Keating. The word that jumped out at me when you were speaking was the malleability of ourselves, to be open. And doesn't Lent give us a unique opportunity to become even more malleable, per se, because of the traditions that we have within our parish, those devotions such as Stations of the Cross and those moments of reconciliation?
1: Yeah, the, the church shifts, just like it does with all its liturgical seasons. It shifts in a noticeable way to, to bring us up short. It's abrupt. It's now purple, and it's penance, and it's simple, and especially during the Triduum and Good Friday, there's, there's spareness to the altar, there's simplicity, there's, everything is streamlined down just to the communion, just to the encounter that we're, we're hoping to have with Jesus. And then, of course, the jettisoning of sin in in the Sacrament of Reconciliation, the liberation, the freedom there, uh, it's all focused differently. It's all focused on penance and, and regret and guilt. And, of course, people hate that, or a certain generation of people hate that. Oh, God, guilt. Oh, regret. And those are the ones who can no longer name sin. The whole generation of people in their late 50s and 60s. Don't even know how to name sin. Because they were so afraid of psychological neuroses. They were so afraid of scrupulosity. Some of it uh, well based on a previous generation of legalists. But they haven't heard. They haven't heard the, the regeneration of the love of truth brought to us by Pope John Paul II. They retained a closeness to guilt and regret and a lack of facility with naming the truth about themselves. I am an adulterer. I'm a liar. I'm a thief. They can't name that. I'm unchaste in my marriage. No, they can't. They're afraid to go there. And yet the whole movement of the 40 days of Lent is a movement to a sturdy naming of who we are before God, not who we want to be. Not who, you know that whole resurrection people stuff. But that's in the future, sorry. Who are we? We're those who are still crucifying, crucifying fellow members of the parish by our selfish choices, by our idiocies, at home, with our family. No, we we stand before God as who we are. He'll raise us later. He'll move us later. But right now, we need to get into the truth of who we are. And even if you're greatly advanced in holiness, especially if you're greatly advanced in holiness, even a venial sin, will chafe. That's very different than a generation of people who have amnesia over how to name sin. Amnesia is not a virtue. Forgetting our sins and forgetting the capacity to name sin is not a virtue. It doesn't mean you don't have sins. It just means you have no capacity or virtue or skill in naming them. You're still hurting people. You're still hurting yourself. I don't think I need to go to confession. What would I say? I don't have any sins. Real living human beings say that asinine sentence. They do. It's pathetic. They've lost touch with truth. So they don't know where they stand in their relationship with God or one another. And Lent roars in with a cleansing breath to help us to see clearly again that all disruptions of human community and all disruptions of the human heart are affiliated with our alienation from the will of God. And by the grace of God in His light our intellect alights upon our sin through conscience. And we name it. And he takes it up to the cross and he heals it. And he gives us back hope. And he gives us back the strength in our memory not to hurt again. And if we do, as St. Francis de Sales taught, never be surprised by your sin. Never be surprised that you sin. Always look to the Lord. Don't look at yourself after you sin. Look to Him. If you look at yourself, Satan will then pull you down. Now, of course, that's if you're aware that you just sinned. Again, many, many people among us have no awareness even after they sin that they've done something horrible to the fabric of the body, torn at the body of Christ. But never be surprised that you sin because then Satan will have a field day with you and make you depressed and sad and continual beating up of the of your self-esteem. You fall, you sin, you look at the cross. You get back to Christ immediately. Immediately you return to Christ. And so in our sins we are coming into the light. In our naming of the sins, we're coming into the light. We're coming into a a source of hope. Let the cleansing breath of the Holy Spirit during Lent, let that great wind of God, that great breath of God, the Spirit, deepen your consciousness of where you stand before God. Rush to Jesus in the Sacrament of Reconciliation. Know where you stand in truth. And then Jesus gives you back hope, healing, strength to overcome habits and patterns of sin. The whole movement of Lent is a conspiracy of joy. But first you have to stop the games. Stop fooling yourself. Stop living in the ideologies of the 1970s. Come. Come to the truth of who you are. And Lent will then be a time of great elevation of spirit. It's not a downer. And of course, everyone was always worried about that. Oh, it's such a heavy downer. It's only a downer if you stay in your sins. If you give your sins to Christ... Lent is the greatest time of elevation into joy.
0: For many of us, it's difficult to understand that sense of sin that we even sinned because this ordinary life has robbed us of the sense of shame. We no longer use the word shame in our actions because somehow through psychology that's something that is is a negative and that harms us. and. And yet when you look in the scriptures, any time there has been this separation that has been caused by sin, whether in that original story of our first parents or even that of Peter and his actions in in the New Testament, there was always accompanied with that sense of shame. And yet today we're told, don't feel shameful. There are reasons for your behavior. It is not your fault.
1: Right, and shame is the public response to our individual guilt. I mean, it's people looking at you. I mean, the experience of shame is people looking at you and looking at you in judgment. And we have a right to judge actions that are wrong. But the kernel of truth in the dissipation of shame is that we don't want to bear the look of others in our imagination and in our heart. Because that is the ground wherein uh, despair can take root. So it can be a an initial kickstart to conversion where the community reminds us of our guilt. But we cannot stay there. We cannot play that photograph over and over again in our mind. I am bad. I am bad. People think that I'm bad. Because that's where, again, the satanic can enter and so fill you with despair that you'll forget uh, the ever upward movement of Jesus calling you to change and repentance. So shame has a a role, but it can't become an abiding, habitual place to live. That's when it becomes dangerous. And uh, you can think of examples today where there's uh, no shame, particularly around the area of sexuality where the community actually does not look upon anyone with any guilt anymore. And so there's a a lack or an absence of public judgment. Again, is that healthy for the community? Possibly not. Possibly not. Because we lose a facility for judging our behavior against the common good. And we can never lose that facility between judging our individual behavior against the common good. Because if we do, of course, we're living in a a culture that has no capacity to see moral goodness, moral truth. And then that's when the, the culture begins to decay. The lack of shame, the lack of public judgment against immoral activity is a sign, perhaps, that the community is decaying because we have no common language about right and wrong. And so nobody makes the judgments anymore. So I think that we, are, we have lost the community's judgment because the community has lost its understanding of its role as the protector and preserver of moral truth. Now truth, of course, is itself a word that is uh, vacant of meaning. All we basically use when we talk about moral issues is personal expediency. Uh, what furthers your own personal goals and what does not. The objective truth is gone. So the objective truth is therefore gone from the from the parish community as well. And so the community that has no sense, if it's overly Americanized rather than being Catholic, but a parish that's overly Americanized will lose this sense that the community protects the truth, furthers the truth, hands on the truth, and therefore, there is a role for the community to make a judgment about behavior, along, of course, with the individual who knows the precise circumstances of their own mind, their own knowledge, and their own freedom. The community can never replace the individual. And the individual can never replace the community, but we're living in a, in a time where we're more likely to see that happen, that everything is left to the individual. If the community replaces the individual, you get totalitarian communities there is this beautiful revelatory interplay that the Catholic Church really treasures between the communal discernment of truth and the individual appropriation of that truth in conscience. And that tension has to remain. And the tension stays as a creative tension in the Eucharist and in the Holy Spirit and doesn't collapse into some type of authoritarianism or totalitarianism or subjectivism or individualism on the other side, it, it keeps that tension in the power of the Eucharist and the power of the Holy Spirit.
0: You say in Crossing the Desert that by participating in this sacrament, we are bid to not simply commune with Christ, but to go in peace. It will be Christ dwelling within us that supports us in this transformation of character, a transformation that ultimately affects the character of society as well.
1: Yeah, there's the interpenetration again. We are persons in community, and we are a community of persons. So when uh, we are told to go in peace, that is to bring that peace to the community that we have become by our own discipline, our own conversion. We have become peace. You are at peace. Your identity is drawn from the peace that you have between yourself and Christ in the depths of your soul because you are brave enough to stand in the truth. Name the truth about yourself. Have Christ forgive it, heal it, and then go forth into the community to be a witness to that healing and to be a contagion of peace at the very deepest levels of your heart, at the level that nobody can take from you because it's secured by Christ himself. So you're not flustered by moodiness and you're not flustered by fashions and trendy thinking of our day. You're not flustered by political expediency because you're living out of this deep peace that nobody can take from you because it is continually given to you at that deep level by Christ himself. So you actually stand as a beacon of peace for others, as a witness that there is another way to live these brief years that we have on earth. We are not victims of this thinking, this trend, this ideology, this fashion, we are free. And we are free at the very core of our being because we are continually receiving the gift of peace from Christ. How do we receive that gift? We receive it by naming the truth of who we are in his presence. In other words, we don't hide from him anymore. When we stop hiding from truth and Christ, we start receiving peace.
0: Thank you, Deacon Keating. Thank you. You've been listening to Crossing the Desert, Lent and Conversion with Deacon James Keating. To hear and or to download this episode, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com or download the free Discerning Hearts app available at the Apple App and Google Play app stores. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission, and if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we pray that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com, and join us next time for Crossing the Desert, Land and Conversion with Deacon James Keating.